How are you doing? It is almost Christmas time and this is a Christmas time offer for you for being a loyal listener. Join us on Patreon. Join the gang on Patreon. You're going to get first dibs on tickets for Dalky, for Kilconomics and for live podcasts. You're going to be part of our book club, which I'm launching in January. You're going to get access to my monetary economics course, the one I gave in Trinity. And you're going to get a sort of a substack backdrop of all sorts of articles that go into making these podcasts. So join us, patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams, between now and Christmas Day, and you get 15% off. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you there? It is time for the put. Uh, how are you doing there? It's time for the put. <laughs> for the pudding. It's time for the pudding. It's time for dessert. Okay. It's time for the podcast. It's freezing cold. The winter has come. If you had any any suspicions that you might have got a mild winter, we are in for a shocker. But John and I are down here in the basement, in the warmth of the basement, yes. in the HQ, and we are lamenting the past of Shane McGowan. Today's podcast is all about the impact of emigration demography on economics, on society and culture. And we're going to look at, which is a very Irish podcast today, which is the impact on England of the Irish diaspora. And the reason I'm going to do it is because the Pogues, I think it's fair to say, were the ultimate Irish diaspora bands. They were not Mm. of Ireland, they were of the Irish tribe. And I've always said, John, that Ireland isn't so much a nation, it's a tribe. Mm. And to be Irish means you're connected to Americans, you're connected to Brits, you're connected to Aussies, you're connected to Canadians, people all over the world. That basically, it's like being part of a big, dysfunctional, extended family. And if you look even at this podcast, and you look where people listen to, our listeners are from all over the place, but they're part in the main of the Irish tribe all over the world. Yeah. And when I'm always thinking about... County Ireland, North London. County North London. Well, if you think about Shane McGowan and you think about the Pogues, what they are, they're a London Irish product. They couldn't have come from here mm. in many ways, exclusively. Yeah. But they, all their cultural inspiration comes from the London Irish community. And I was just even looking... Which is incredibly unique, by the way. Yeah, and it's different to us. Yes, it's different to us, but it's different to the Irish Americans, different to the Irish Australians and all this. It has its own kind of 
its own subtribe. It almost. has its own subtribe. Uh, it tends to be a much more working class version mm. of the Irish in America. And it tends to be a newer version in, in the sense that it got a massive, massive increase and spike or boost by the migration of the 1950s and 1960s. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there were the parents. And we see that through culture, we see through music, through history, through art, all that stuff, this impact. We're going to talk about these, these different waves of Irish people. But you're right, the North London, West London, South, and it's fair to say East London Irish experience is really quite different. And mm. I know, so for example, with someone like McGowan, when I remember when I first listened to Rum, Sodomy and the Lash, yeah. And he wrote about, you know, male prostitution, destitution, being spat on and shot on and raped and abused, all these, these. And he wrote about an Irish experience that we in Ireland shunned because yeah. it didn't accord with our sense of ourselves, number one. And they, so many of those old guys, never came home because they hadn't made it because they were, even so they, they couldn't afford a new suit to come home, right? Yeah. And McGowan understood that. And he understood the immigrant experience and he understood being at the bottom of the pile. And he understood also looking up from the bottom of the pile and thinking, you know, what am I going to do? I mean, you know, just if you listen to, if you're, if you are a Pogues fan, you'll know what I'm getting on. If you're not a Pogues fan, go and have a listen thing. And of course, John, you recorded. Well, I did. Do you know, I, I was, I had a really weird experience last Thursday when I heard of, of Shane's passing. And like, I didn't know him terribly well. I had the privilege of working with him a yeah, few you times. Did. But last Thursday, I was in a studio. I was in the podcast studio, which is a, a studio in Dublin. Nice setup. And that used to be Westland Studios in the 80s and 90s. And of course, Westland Studios was the place that was my first job as a T-boy and tape op and assistant engineer. And I was in there with clients and I arrived in and it's changed, but not that much. And I was reminiscing, just looking around the place. That's where I did the, the first Aslan album, Hot House Flowers, all, all these guys, Bill Whelan, Mary Black, blah, blah, blah. And of course, one of the albums I did there was the Dubliners, the Dubliners 25th celebration. I was one of the assistant engineers on that. And what's on that album? The Irish Rover. With the Pogues. With the Pogues. So uh, The iconic version of absolutely. the Irish Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we recorded that with the Dubliners, sent over to London. And I can't remember if the Dubliners went over and did the vocals over there or not. Irrelevant. They did some backing tracks and then they all came back. And Shane came back and we were on the doing the mix session. And it that was been amazing. wild. But- Jesus Christ, <laughs> it was wild. But that was the first time I met him. But it was really weird. I was standing in the control room in Westland Studios, the podcast studio, on Thursday, and a text came through from Al saying, R.I.P. Shane McGowan. I went, what? This was the very room that I, I, I first met him That's in. That's extraordinary. It was really strange. I also, the second time I worked with him, actually, was with Steve Liddywhite, and I, I only did a couple of days on a session of, what was the name of the album? Uh, Love and Peace on the song Boat Train. I love that song. Yeah. But also, having got the boat train, for, I mean, the boat train is the Irish experience. Yes, in London. yeah, yeah, it yeah, is yeah, the Irish yeah, experience. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story about me, Shane McGowan, and Iggy Pop. Oh! <laughs> so Iggy Pop is playing in Kilmainham on July of 2008. Right. Just as the world economy is crashing all around us, right? <laughs> yes. As the Irish banks are going bust, as the whole thing is over. 
and Iggy Pop is playing. I'm going to see Iggy Pop. And John Reynolds, who passed away, mm. the promoter, was an old friend of mine. And John texted me and he said, look, why don't you come? Let's have a quick drink before the gig. There's a bar backstage. So I said, Grant, I go. So I walk into the bar backstage. The only other person at the bar is Shane McGowan. It was a little small tent. It wasn't mm. a bar. It was just a backstage tent. And like you, I mean, Shane McGowan had kind of deity status for us when we were younger, right? Yeah, yeah, Particularly yeah. when we were living in London yeah. as well, right? So I, I walk up to him and he, we're at the bar, ordered two pints and amazingly, he says to me, I've just read your book. What? The Pope's Children. Oh. I'm like, <laughs> So we start talking about Ireland, Irish society. Yeah. And then, then there's a couple of pints and a bottle of wine arrived. Yeah. So then Shane says to me, right, <laughs> it's like, it's getting very messy. Yeah. And that is because the bar's kind of filling up as well. And then Shane says to me, come on, we go to the gig. And yeah. I said, how do you mean? He says, let's go backstage. Yeah. So I end up, right? So you imagine there's Iggy Pop. So how mad is an Iggy Pop gig yeah, in the first yeah, place, right? Yeah. So Iggy Pop, the original punk, right, is there. <laughs> I'm kneeling down on the side of the stage with two bottles of Beaujolais, me and Shane McGowan, the other punk poet. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. this is mental. And I don't know what was more wow. mental, the fact that it was an economist with Shane McGowan listening to Iggy Pop, the fact that it was Iggy Pop. And of course, Iggy Pop was aware that Shane McGowan was beside us and was kind of genuflecting to the great man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. sitting between these two giants. Maybe he's genuflecting to you, Mac. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I always said, Iggy Pop, myself and Shane McGowan. And then, of course, the night went on and we, we went into town and it got very... Fantastic. Got very grey and very... But, but that's, that was the thing that, that I, I... You know, everyone talks about Shane McGowan's drinking stuff and... Jay-Z was a drinker. But I always thought, I loved Shane McGowan as a poet. I thought he yeah. was fantastic. As a singer, it kind of got to me every so often because when he was singing, you couldn't really hear the lyrics. Yeah. But he was such an amazing poet and lyricist. But of course, it was his singing wasn't about his voice and stuff. His singing was about his delivery. Yeah. And, and that's what it was. You're a great fan of Yeats. Yeah. He does an amazing version of An Irish Airman Foretells His Death. Yeah, yeah. Have you, have you heard it? No, I haven't heard it. Oh, man. It's brilliant. I'll play it for you afterwards. Well, we, we, should, we should do this. So what we're going to do here, we're talking mm. about Shane McGowan. We're talking about music. Oh, and by the way, I was down at, well, I was listening to Other Voices this weekend. Oh, yeah. Lucy was down at Other Voices. How did that go? Went really, really well. Actually, if you're interested, have a look at Other Voices live on YouTube. And you'll get a clip of Lucy. She's three or four songs there. Lots of other great musicians on it as well. Looks like a great, great gig. I went down there a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh, didn't go down this weekend because the last thing you want if you're performing is your owl lad in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a certain... Oh, oh, get away from me. <laughs> but what I want to talk about, John, is this idea of the impact of these Irish people on English culture right? Mm. The enemy in the late 1990s, early 2000s, did a review of the three most influential musicians on English culture in the last 50 years. One was John Lennon. Okay. One was Johnny Rotten. And okay. one was Morrissey, right? right? So what they were saying, these three individuals, if you look at these three individuals, what actually puts them together yeah. is the fact that they are all the sons or grandsons of Irish emigrants to England. Yeah. And this intrigued me. So what is it about this tribe that has contributed enormously to Englishness, to what I would call English popular culture? Yeah. So then yeah. I decided to look uh, at Lennon. 
1974, Lennon releases an album called Walls and Bridges. And he inserts into this album, into the artwork, a little booklet. And part of this booklet was taken from a geologist called Edward MacLysett. And Edward MacLysett became a member of the first Shannad here. And he was an English guy of Irish parentage who became obsessed by Ireland, Mm. went to live in Clare, learned Irish, became a member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, ended up being very, very much part of the nationalist movement. And then when he became a senator, started to write about the ethnicity of Irish names. Okay. And one of the names he focuses on is O'Linon, which is obviously Lennon. Yeah. Because John Lennon's grandparents on both sides were Irish, right? His, his grandfather's guy called Jack Lennon, who was a seaman, a merchant Navy guy. And in this thing, there is a rather dismissive, snooty thing about the, the surname O'Lennon and said, no Lennons have really distinguished themselves in the world of art <laughs> and culture, right? This is written in 1920. And all John Lennon writes in the, in the, in the little thing is, oh yeah, really? Question mark. <laughs> oh yeah? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then so you see, so Lennon, uh, Lennon when he got older, became, you know, really connected to this idea of this Irish part of his background. And then you think, was that part of the creativity of the Beatles? Was the fact that McCartney's parents... Our grandparents were also Irish. In fact, Harrison's grandparents mm. were also Irish. And then you think, okay, it's not surprising because Liverpool, 60% of kids in certain suburbs in Liverpool are baptised Catholic when only 10% of English people are Catholic, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So Liverpool yeah. is the second capital city of these. And these guys are from there, right? Mm. And I remember I told you before about going to the lash with Wayne Rooney's granny, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yes. In the Western oh approaches. God, Mike. But it was it was, it was one of the great <laughs> afternoons. It was one of the great afternoons. I was in Fazakali. Fazakali is a suburb of Liverpool, right? Never heard Full of it. Full of paddies, right? Right. And I, and I have a bizarre, when I'm doing these sort of research. That sounds like a make-up name. <laughs> it does, but it's actually a real, and it, there's Zs and Ks and all, so it right. doesn't sound Scouse at all, but it's a massive big suburb yeah. in Liverpool. And Fazakali is very, very close to Croxteth, which is where Wayne yes. Rooney's from. Yeah. Okay, and then not to be confused with Toxteth, which is where the riots were in, in England. Yeah. One of them is the oldest Irish community and one is the oldest black black community. But in Fazakali, there's a massive, massive cemetery. And cemeteries are very interesting places to look at the demographic echoes of society. Yes, yeah, And yeah, what yeah, you yeah. find in Fazakali's cemetery, loads and loads of Chinese names, loads of Chinese, okay. like Chinese mausoleums, the early Chinese community in Liverpool, loads of Irish names, loads of Jewish names in the other part of the cemetery. And it's all to do with the fact that Liverpool was a huge melting pot. We forget Because that. it was a massive port. Massive port. Yeah, and that's yeah. where they, the oldest black community is in Liverpool and yeah. in Bristol. Yeah. Two big ports. But interestingly, the afternoon when I went to interview to get a handle on the Irish community in Croxton for a, for a TV documentary mm. for RT many, many years ago, we ended up in a pub with a priest, with Father mm. Ince. And Father Ince was the local priest and he was our in to the community. And he said to me after a couple of hours of driving around, he goes, let's go for a bevy. So we went in for a bevy and in the back of the boozer, he says, you're in luck, Wayne's nan's down the back. (laughs) And down down the back was Wayne's nan and Wayne Rooney's nan's Patricia Fitzsimons, originally from Derry. Right. And fantastically, not only... Was she a pool shark down the back? She was, no, she was drinking gin and bitter lemon. Right. At about half 11 or 12 in the morning, watching the racing from Kempton, right? Kempton Park racing. Jeez. Lads right. were being sent out. I mean, this boozer, there's a rule of thumb in England. Never go into a boozer with a flat roof. 
Right. Go on. Because they're always RAF, rough as fuck, right? (laughs) Makes sense. All the other rule in English, not only don't go into a boozer with a flat roof, do not go into a boozer with no windows. Yes. And the Western approaches in Crockstead, and I was in this boozer, has no windows and a flat roof. Is that the name of the Western approaches? Yes. And the West, (laughs) that's the name of the boozer. So you're in this boozer. Right. right. So there's a flat roof. There is no windows. Tick. No windows. There's a William Hill bookmaker beside. Tick. Perfect. Okay, there are skinny lads in Everton away strips. That's yeah. all it is, right? Yeah, with the wispy tashes. Fe- wispy tashes and no arse, no evidence of an arse, right? No arse on the side of the trousers, right? And then Wayne's granny's down the back. And we yeah. went and we chatted. And it was a total laugh of the afternoon. Afternoon went pear-shaped completely. And then we went back and we interviewed her right. for, the, for the TV documentary. Yeah. And she was really interested. She was born on St. Patrick's Day, right? Right, okay. And she was... She talked about the parades in, in Liverpool in the 1950s and 1960s, the St. Patrick's Day parade. She talked about sectarianism, all that sort of stuff. Fascinating backdrop. But again, it comes to this idea of the impact of this tribe on, on England, mm. where you have now so many English people identify with Irishness. So, so many of them, despite Brexit, despite everything. Yeah. We, we kind of forget that... These links are very, very strong. And then you look at the other person the enemy talked about was Johnny Rotten. Mm. And Johnny Rotten is John Lydon. And Johnny Rotten's parents are, of course, Irish. And his first autobiography was called No Blacks, No Dogs, No Irish. Yeah. And it was about that. And he is the Finsbury Park Irish that you'd have known in North London. Yes. Very close to Shane McGowan's tribe. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the other person they wrote about was Morrissey. And Morrissey is Stephen Morrissey. And even in that Irish blood, English heart, you know, that... Uh, yeah, that, yeah, it's a great song, actually. Yeah, yeah. He describes himself as 10 parts Crumlin, 10 parts Old Trafford. Yeah. Right? And he's also Robbie Keane's cousin. Is he? Yes. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So wow. these, are, these are the whole thing. Robbie Keane, who is now the manager of Maccabi Tel Aviv. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, another, yeah. Another place we could go, <laughs> right? But what I've been always fascinated in is why was there a disproportionate amount of those Irish musicians like the Gallagher's, you know, Pete Mm. Doherty, all those people in English popular culture. So this is kind of the unintended soft power of Ireland. Yeah. In England. In England, you know, and it's like, you know, I remember listening to Steve Coogan talking about it, like Steve Coogan's parents Mm. were qualified. And then you look at comedy and you see this extraordinary footprint of Irish people in English comedy. I'll just give you, you've got Steve Coogan, Peter Kay, Dave Allen, of course, yeah. Spike Milligan, Jimmy Carr, Paul Merton, Carolina Hearn, and of course, up in Scotland, Billy Connolly. Yeah, so you yeah, have yeah, these, yeah. this, and it all comes back to this idea that we are so intertwined ourselves and the English, you know, which is sometimes what I always think was very interesting. Last week, there was this, with the riots, this idea of what is Irishness? You know, these are people are not Irish. Mm. And then when you talk sometimes to this sort of the, more Provo, you know, the anti-English Provo stuff, right? And then you realise when you walk around parts of England that everywhere, I mean, you know, you look at the most popular Saturday night shows in England, Ant and Deck. Yes. Yeah, they're paddies. Yeah. They're Newcastle paddies, right? Yeah, yeah. You think of, you know, Dermot O'Leary. These are kind of mainstream broadcasters, you know. What you have is an extraordinary duality. And, of course, McGowan was an extreme version of this. Mm. But where he got his inspiration was from the Irish experience in England. And it's interesting, you know, the Irish experience, and he also said that the Pogues could never have been Irish-born. 
and bread exclusively because they had to have that nurturing of that slightly outsider, slightly alien. And the best was Boy George, of course, yeah. whose name is George O'Dowd, was saying, try and be a cross-dresser in Tipperary yeah, in the yeah, 80s, yeah. you know? But so, see, London had, had its own kind of texture, added its own texture to the Pogues. And it was that punk element. Yeah. But overall, how did that soft power influence, you know, politics and economics and, and where is it headed in the future? Okay. But, but before you answer that, let's have a little break. Fair enough. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Mark, we're talking about uh, there's a huge influence of Irish people who left here during the famine and the 50s and 60s, and then our generation leaving in the 80s yeah, and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And now our, now our kids. And now our kids, yeah, <laughs> your, yeah, yeah. Your daughter lives in London. My daughter lives in London. Absolutely, you know? yeah, yeah. And we have this kind of, it's almost like a, a um, treadmill. Yeah. You, you go over and you do your time in London and you learn your trade and you, and then, of course, a lot of people stay. But what I wanted to ask you about is the influence, not just the cultural influence, but the political and economic yeah. influence okay. of that on English culture. Well, I think it's not just on English culture, John. I think it's on our culture too. I think that one of the big unstudied parts of economics is the impact of diasporas and the future impact of diasporas on relationships around the world. Yeah. So take for we're talking about the Irish in England, right? Mm. And we're talking about our and the Irish in America, right? But an even more fascinating diaspora now are going to be the Indian diaspora in the United States. Yes. So if you look at in business in particular, the footprint of Indian chief executives and starters and founders in Silicon Valley, it's phenomenal. And this is soldering a link between America and India at a supranational, almost, as you say, soft power. Mm. You know, India and America were at loggerheads. They couldn't stand it. India always went with the Soviet Union. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because America backed Pakistan. And of course, who was the architect of that? Mr. Kissinger. 
who passed away also on the same day as Jeremy Gowan. That's right. But we're going to talk about Kissinger. Say they're baiting lumps out of each other. We're going to, oh, could you imagine the scraps, right? We're going to talk about... Just outside the pearly gates. Exactly, St. Peter is trying to pick the two of them apart. Do you remember the posters that bashed each other around the head with a biscuit tin? (laughs) Imagine you have an image of Shane McGowan bashing Henry Kissinger around the head with a biscuit tin, right? We are Speaking of Kissinger, we are going to be talking on Thursday to Fiona Hill. Oh, who yeah, is the yeah. advisor, the the advisor to the Secretary of State on all things Russian, Ukrainian? We're also going to ask her about the legacy of Great. Kissinger. But we'll park it with the image of Shane McGowan <laughs> hitting Henry Kissinger across the head with a USA biscuit tin outside the pearly dates, right? But back to this this impact, the impact of the Chinese diaspora on the United States and on the relationship between the United States and China. These are going to yeah. be huge, right? I always think, I've always, we, look, we know about the Jewish diaspora and the influence of them in America and financing Israel, all that stuff, right? So what we don't realise is that there are links that go deeper than economics and they're familial links, they're bloodline links, they're cultural links, and they are extraordinarily strong. And in a globalised world where things become sanitised and things become equal, and the difference between cultures becomes equalised because of the global talent and mm. media being globalised. Ideas of ethnicity are unbelievably powerful. You know, this is why years ago, you know, I was very agitating for this idea of the Global Irish Forum because yes. it is yeah, something yeah. deep, right? There are connections between people that are emotional connections. And these emotional connections are the basis of soft power. But can I just, this is part of the argument against immigration that the right wing profess that, you know, it's the great replacement theory that you hear the likes of Tucker Carlson and and Steve Bannon bang on of another Irish guy. Steve Bannon is a paddy. Yeah, banging on about, you know, and how, you know, all this immigration is going to... Dilute the culture. Dilute the culture. You know, and you you feel like, you, you feel like saying to them, well, hold on a second, right? If that is the case, if immigration and migration into the country, people feel might dilute the culture, well, how do you actually, in the 21st century, deal with that? Mm. And how maybe you deal with this is you look at the constitution of what is Irishness, right? Or what is Englishness? Or what is Frenchness, okay? Mm. Now, if you take it as just an ethno-nationalist idea, that you all have to look and sound like us, right? That's one way. And have to have been born on this island, right? Could you imagine how shite the Irish football team would have been over the years <laughs> if we adopted the Steve Bannon approach to Irishness? Yeah. So you would have no Kevin Sheedy's, right? Think, think, think about it, right? Look, why was Jack Charlton's football team good? Because he went and took all the kids of Irish immigrants in England yeah. from Mick McCarthy to Alan McLaughlin, to Tony Galvin. Like, think about that whole team. Apparently they weren't all Irish. (laughs) Well, 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 that was Tony Cascarino who admitted. (laughs) Big tone, big cast. Yes, actually pure Italian and no Irish at all. But you see, I would contrast Steve Bannon's worldview with Jack Charlton's worldview. Mm. Jack Charlton's worldview was inclusive and was suggestive. He was much closer, for example, to Shane McGowan because what he was saying is there is a tribe in yeah. America or in England or in Canada that are of Irish descent and they're part of our tribe, right? Now, if Steve Bannon wins, what you're going to say is only the couple of million people who are born here require to be regarded as Irish. That's complete mm. nonsense. In the future, I happen to think, I was reading 
about Napoleon, John, during mm. the week. Because today is the anniversary of the victory of Austerlitz, which is when Napoleon was crowned emperor of France. And I was also reading yeah. the diaries of a fellow called Talleyrand, yes. who was Napoleon's foreign minister, who Napoleon referred to as shite in silk stockings, yeah. which is an amazing put down. You'd always be proud to be shite in silk yeah, stockings, yeah. right? But I'm reading this for another project. By the way, I'm going head. to see the movie tonight. I'll report back. Okay, you're going to see week. Napoleon, right? Yeah, yeah. Napoleon, the first incarnation of the French Republic, right? Republican values, this amazing revolution the French had. The French now have, they're on their fifth republic. Mm. Which is what I like about the French. It's like every couple of decades, they say, okay, enough of that. We're going to change the republic. We're going to change the constitution. The fifth republic comes in in 1958 against the background of the Algerian war. They had a system like ours, which was a PR system mm. and a sort of a ceremonial president. So the parliament was sovereign. And this was not working because the parliament was able, because they had all these unstable coalitions yeah. to actually make decisions about decolonialization, what France was after the uh, Second World War, what the country was going to be. And of course, waiting in the wings was the 20th century version of Napoleon, Charles de Gaulle. And right, Charles okay. de Gaulle is sitting in the wings, retired, and Charles is waiting for the call-up, right? He's the big man, l'homme providential, okay? Mm. And he's the big man in history, and he gets a call, and he says, okay, I'm going to rewrite the constitution, we're going to have a fifth republic, and we're going to put the president is going to be, the executive power is all going to be in the president. And he is going to have certain areas of total competence, right? A bit like the American system. Because this idea how of... Did he, how could he have the power to just change it like that? Was it was it a kind of a unilateral decision? No, 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 no. The parliament came to him and said, we yeah. need a new uh, fix, right? But right. in the French political culture, go back to Napoleon, yeah. is this idea of the big man, yeah, yeah, of yeah. the top dog, right? We don't have that. The Yanks have it too. Yeah. So the Yanks have the executive power and the president, right? But what I'm talking about, to tie it all together, right, is that in the next 10 or 15 years, I believe we need to have a second republic in Ireland because I think the society and the way in which we're running the economy has broken down. So why can't we build houses? Why can't we build infrastructure? Why can't the cops control the streets? It's all to do with a lack of connection. We feel that... Our political class should be able to click their fingers or pick up the phone and make something happen. Yeah, yeah. But they don't because they're hamstrung by bureaucracy and layers and layers, maybe mediocrity, right? So what you have this weird situation is politicians in Ireland come on the radio trying to explain themselves as if these guys can pick up the phone and change. But yeah. they can't because there's no executive powers. So the government in Ireland is hamstrung by the fact that we have a system, even the building houses, right? But hang on, hang on. We used to do that, though, didn't yes. we? So, 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 so what has changed? What has exactly? changed is that the population has grown dramatically. Yeah. Right? Is that the demands on infrastructure have grown dramatically. And the way it ties in with everything is that Ireland, because of emigration, was a society run for 100 years based on a declining population. Imagine this, okay? okay. A declining population means you do not have to replace anything. Because you've less people coming through. So if you think from 1922 until around 2002, the population of Ireland hardly moved. Yeah. And that's a very easy place to run. From 2002 to now, the population has increased by a million. Yeah. And it's going to increase and it's increasing and increasing now. Because the population is increasing, the way in which you did business in the old days is null and void because the demands on the public system 
are so enormous, right? And so consequently, this idea of having a political system of PR, do you know what's going to happen in Ireland next year? We're going to increase the amount of TDs. Right? Yeah. Okay. That doesn't look to me like reform. That looks to me like oh, packing an already packed deck. You're having more people in the doyle yeah. is hardly political reform. It's hardly taking the political, economic and social structure and saying, is this fit for purpose? So so are you saying, though, then, that the, the PR system that we have doesn't work? Like, it's the system itself doesn't work because a PR system, by its very nature, gives rise to a weak government, a wishy-washy well, government, because it's a, it's so diluted down that there's no single well, strong no. party or leader. No, so I don't think, I, I mean, I think that's one way you can go down. I, I'm not a great believer in the in the big man in history, mm. right? The strong man. Yeah. But I do understand that the French are onto something, which is at a certain stage, decisions have to be taken. Yeah. So you have the PR system is extremely adept and adroit at creating centrist governments. Mm. And that makes sense because most people are centrist. What people don't realise is, you know, the, thankfully, Twitter isn't the electorate, okay? Yes. So all the shouting yeah. and roaring in social media isn't where most people sit. Most people are in the middle in yeah. some shape or form. They tend to do the most sensible thing. They tend to probably default to conservatism at a certain level, i.e. they're not revolutionary yeah. in the main, right? So PR has a great ability to reflect that. However, what is a problem is when the state needs to get things done quickly, the PR system or the governance that has risen up with the PR system doesn't read, it, do, it doesn't do urgency very well. But, but right? here's, here's another thing, though, that when it does do that, on the very rare occasion, such as in COVID, COVID lockdowns, exactly. that... The you know people are up shouting roaring that it's a fascist state. Then only some people. You're on I, I, you're I, on X too much. Yeah, I, vast, I'm off X. Actually, the vast majority of people went along with this and were quite happy yeah. that a large paternalistic government. But is that group small group and they're the fellas that we saw out in the yeah. streets and all? Is that not growing? Or certainly it that's is, the perception. It is. It that, is growing. It is growing. But as Kevin Cunningham said last week, you know, it's it's still very marginal. Right, it's still a very marginal group. Okay, now it could grow. Mm-hmm. Right, it could well grow, and there's reasons to think it should grow. But what I think is, if it is growing, right, if the governance needs to be changed, if the society is changing completely from the society that De Valera wrote the Constitution in 1937 about, yeah, then we have a legal and economic and social and political imperative to consider the Second Republic. We've had our First Republic. Also think about Northern Ireland, right? What's coming down the tracks, there is some constitutional change. We don't know exactly what it's going to be, but it gives the opportunity to change in advance of the constitution. So basically use the border pole with Northern Ireland or some change like this to basically, is this place fit for purpose? If we had a blank slate, John, if you had a blank piece of paper, would you start from here? That's the idea. And the French have the political maturity to take those big decisions. And maybe we should contemplate a second Irish Republic. So, okay, let me ask you then, because France ha- have the gilets on the streets and, and farmers blocking streets. And, but what would a Irish second Republic okay. look like? Uh, okay, I think that a presidential system, which we have, which we've got Michael D as a symbolic president. Mm. Okay, and I think that works for a lot of areas. Yeah. But what should the 
new republic look like? What should the executive powers be, right? So I think we could do it through citizens' assemblies, right? So you'd have a, an organic way of feeling your way towards. You could have a lot more direct democracy like the Swiss have. So you basically take the power away from the parliament and give it back to local government. Yeah. Because local government, it's what Eric Lonergan said the other, other week, you know, information is always better locally because you yes. know exactly what people yeah. are thinking, right? The farther away you are from information, the more likely your executive decisions will be bad, right? So you've got to empower local government. So maybe you take direct democracy. Maybe we do the opposite of the French. And we say, we will not centralise power. We will diffuse power completely to mm. the local area. And we'll do this under the auspices of a second republic. And that's where, to get back to our theme, the diaspora come in. Mm. So I believe that we should use Ireland as the recharging battery for the Irishness of the tribe. So we started with the idea that we are a tribe. Yeah. And that tribe is much more closely aligned with each other than many other nations, right? Which is why we go to Irish bars, which is in Irish America, which is, is that, you know, the Pogues, what we're all talking about. We in the country, the motherland, so to speak, right? Mm. We should give those Irish immigrants, like our kids who go abroad, they should have some way of voting here. So in all other republics, French Republic, Polish Republic, if you see, for example, when there's Brazilian elections in Brazil, there's lines of Brazilians up here queuing to vote. Yeah, yeah, when there's yeah, French yeah. elections, there's lines of French people queuing to vote. Yeah. No Irish people who live outside the country have the right to vote here. Yet they're all Irish citizens and they all have a view and maybe they have a better view because they're outside the country. Mm. And I think that if we want to combat the Steve Bannon idea, right, the replacement theory idea, mm. what we've got to say is that Irishness is an active element. And by an active element, I mean the island produces the culture that informs, infuses and helps the diaspora. And they produce something unique for us, which is an outside experience. And the way to gel these all together is in this new Second Republic, where they have some share and some say in the way in which the country is run. Not because you're going to give people who don't pay taxes in your country a right to vote, and therefore this is they have some sort of representation without taxation to go back to the mm. American democratic ideal. But it's because it's unique. It is unique that there is no English version of the Pogues, an English band playing English folk music who were born in Canada. They mm. don't exist, right? There is no French version of the Pogues. There yeah. is no German version. Yeah, so this yeah. is a unique tribe. And like everything unique, John, we have to protect it. In a world that is changing dramatically, the uniqueness of the Irish tribe outside is something that if we allow this to wither on the vine, if we allow this to say, oh, well, you know, they just come home and, and they're not really part of our country, you lose something. And in a world of soft power, if you lose the very element, the very driving force of soft power, then you lose everything.